Episode 26, The Power of Voice In moments of confrontation, how you use your voice can be the difference between escalating or de-escalating a situation. The tone, pitch or volume, when used correctly, can all contribute to creating a positive outcome. As a high school teacher, I see this firsthand every day in my job. The way I use my voice can generate multiple effects. I can talk in a soothing, quiet tone to calm a student down. It can be a bark that grabs immediate attention. I can deepen it to make it carry across the classroom without it sounding pleading. Learning to control the tone and pitch of one's voice is a skill many new teachers have to learn to develop in order to run a classroom successfully. To take this idea to an extreme, riot police in both the United States and Australia have used sound as a way of deterring angry mobs. Long-range acoustic devices, otherwise known as LRADs, have been utilised. The LRAD is a device that can put out a highly directional beam of incredibly loud sound, up to 160 decibels. It produces a siren-like sound that is intensely painful to hear and can apparently cause hearing damage. Obviously our voices can't produce that volume, but it just goes to show how sound can be weaponized. So why am I talking about the use of voice on this podcast? Because using voice relates directly to dealing with a confrontation. If you see yourself as a person that tends to move towards danger, in other words you have a worrier mentality, then confrontation with another is likely at some point. You might not even initiate the confrontation, it doesn't matter because now you are in a position where you need to control the situation to get the best possible outcome, and this starts with your voice. How you sound to another individual is very important. The use of your voice could calm down a person or do the reverse, triggering them into anger or even violent action. By the end of this episode, I hope to explore some examples where using your voice correctly can get the outcomes you want. Let's start with Japanese martial arts and the concept of kiai. On the surface, kiai is simply a loud yell, scream, or similar noise, usually directed at an opponent. Most martial traditions have some sort of yell or loud noise that their practitioners make. There must be something to it, right? It's done for three reasons. First, it can startle your opponent, or at least unsettle them. Secondly, it will give you courage. Finally, when done correctly, a good kiai will strengthen your core, or hara if you will. Different martial traditions use different sounds in their kiai. In Takamuraha Shindo Yoshinru, we have different kiai for the person initiating an attack and the one who responds to that attack. In some cases, the noise is made prior to an attack. In others, the noise is made at the moment of a strike. You can hear kiai used in karate kata, in kumite, and very obviously during a kendo bout. In fact, to achieve a point in kendo, a strike must be accompanied by a strong, convincing kiai. Alice Amder writes about the use of kiai in his book, Dueling with Osensei. This is what he writes. Kiai jitsu can save lives. When my eldest son was about three years old, he suddenly dashed out the front door. I was sitting in the garden and I heard a car roaring down the one-lane road in front of our house, a lane so narrow that cars would brush the hedges on each side as they passed. His foot hit the curb and I screamed a form of kiai that is the function of creating terror and stopping a person momentarily in his tracks. A rasping, tearing scream like a sea eagle dropping on prey. He froze, and possibly one foot in the air, the other on the edge of the curb. The 
car rushed by inches from his body, and then off-balanced he fell forward into the street. He cried for fifteen minutes, not in fear of the car, but in fear of my voice. I saved my child's life with a weapon usually used to immobilise an enemy in battle to cut him down. End quote. This is a great example of how the use of voice can yield powerful results. All Japanese martial arts have their roots in older warrior traditions that were developed in the feudal era. During the Sengoku Jedi, or Warring States period, Japan was at constant war for about 150 years as warlords vied for power. I'm sure battle cries were a key component to how battles were fought. Using sound to startle an opponent was not just used by ancient Japanese warriors. It has been used across many cultures, uh, warrior cultures. You can find examples as far back as the ancient Greeks, the Mongols, the Crusaders of the Middle Ages, and the Muslim armies who fought them. War cries were ubiquitous to Native American tribes and Maori warriors of New Zealand. Basically, every warrior society had a war cry of some sort. If you have an interest in the sport of rugby, some of you may be familiar with the All Blacks and the Maori haka. The haka has its origins in Maori warfare. This is a ritualised war dance designed to either intimidate or challenge the enemy. It is actually used in many ways, but we will stick to those two approaches for the purposes of this episode. Imagine a group of powerful looking men lined up opposite you. The leader of the group calls out loudly. This initiates the haka and the rest of the group explode into action. They form a wide stance, let out some yells and stare wide-eyed at their opponents. The leader calls again and the rest of the group start the challenge. This consists of a song being sung at top volume, the stamping of feet in unison and constant hissing, puffing of cheeks and wide stares. Often the group will approach the opposition step by step as one, challenging the enemy to stand their ground. Any New Zealander who has watched the All Blacks perform the haka can't help but be filled with pride and get fired up themselves. Opposing national sides still hold this ritual in awe. The haka can also be done as a sign of respect. As I mentioned earlier, I am a high school teacher, and at the end of the school year, the teachers are asked to the front of our hall by our students. Then they performed our school haka to thank us for teaching and learning that occurred that year. It is an amazing feeling being on the other end of the haka when it has been done to honour you. You cannot deny the power of voice. Dave Burke is a retired US Marine Corps officer, fighter pilot, ground combat leader, and now a leadership instructor and speaker for Echelon Front, a business committed to leadership training. I'm going to paraphrase what he said about using his voice when talking to other pilots while flying in high-stress situations in fighter aircraft. He says, The way you communicate and the way you sound, you want to give the impression to the people you're talking to to think you are calm. And if they think you are calm, they tend to react the same way. There are times where I might wish to convey a little extra emotion to get you to move a little quicker. I might elevate my voice or speak in a higher octave or a little faster or louder. Those are typically calculated times when I really need the reaction. The rest of the time I want to sound cool, calm and collected. End quote. So here is a guy that was the training officer of the US Naval Top Gun School telling us how important the use of voice is. He's probably worth listening to. If you want to hear more from Dave Burke, check out the Jocko podcast. He's on a few episodes. Now let's move on to verbal de-escalation. Gary Quisenberry, a career federal air marshal, writes about effective communication in his book, Spotting Danger Before It Spots You. I must thank Randall Davis from Kung Fu Conversations for sending me this insightful book. This is what Quisenberry has to say. 
Speak calmly, but with confidence. Confidence is key here. Never let yourself appear timid when engaging a potential attacker in a conversation. Empathize. Show some level of understanding of the attacker's situation. You may have to fake this part, but if it allows you or your family to a safe means of escape, do it. Finally, Quisenberry writes this, allow the attacker a way out, end quote. It's interesting stuff. Somehow, if you can make the other person think they have choices, they are more likely to go along with it and you can get yourself out of a bad situation. In the book Verbal Judo, The Gentle Art of Persuasion by George Thompson, he writes that it is important to use validating statements such as, I understand. I'm sorry that happened. Let's figure out what we can do to make this work. I can see you are upset, and so on. He suggested asking open-ended questions designed to get the person to tell their story. This sort of advice is gold. I use similar strategies with teenagers that exhibit poor behaviour in the classroom or have had a confrontation with a teacher. It is important to talk calmly but confidently. Ask for their side of the story. I paraphrase what they have told me to show that I am listening to them. Also, I ask what they might be able to do differently next time to avoid the same problem happening again. Ultimately, I'm first trying to build a sense of rapport and then I begin problem solving with the student. I can't emphasise this type of discussion enough. If people sought to try and verbally de-escalate situations more often, we would be better off. The police would have less work to do, countries wouldn't be fighting each other with each other, and less wars would be needed to be fought. In my opinion, being skilled in this type of discussion is a type of superpower. Hopefully through the above examples you can see just how powerful your voice and your words are. Think about that for a moment. Your words have power. So what you say and how you say it define you as a person. What you consider a passing comment may have a great impact on the recipient. How you deliver your message can greatly affect how someone hears it. Even if your intentions are honourable, if your tone doesn't match the intent, the recipient might take offence or get the wrong idea. It comes as no surprise that expressions such as, he is a man of his word, exist. People have known for a long time about the power of the spoken word and how it elicits responses in others. How it can elicit responses in others. But how do words and the sound of our voice elicit emotion? Dr. Eric Jarvis explains this on the Huberman Lab podcast. The type of sound that gets us to react emotionally are called effective communication which is different to semantic communication, which is all about pure meaning. Effective communication occurs within an emotional context and is said with intention from the speaker. Think of songs that tug at your heartstrings or music that fires you up. He goes on to say that there is a theory that our brains evolved to produce sounds more akin to singing first, to attract mates, etc., before being able to produce sounds for abstract ideas such as those I'm talking about right now. That is an interesting thought and would explain why the correct tone of voice and words can elicit such a primal response from people. Interestingly, our brains are wired in such a way that our body movement can also be a type of effective communication. This means our posture and body language can also invoke emotions in others. Dr. Jarvis calls this speaking with our bodies. While not the topic of this episode, it is certainly something to be aware of when communicating with others. Right, I'm going to end the episode there. This means it is time for today's quote. This one is from Barack Obama, the 44th US President. He simply states, Your voice can change the world. Music